Many years ago, when I was even younger, I, I was praying to God. I was calling out to Him sincerely and earnestly, and I had this burning question on my heart. I said, God, what is your will for my life? And as I said those words, not long after that, I looked down at my Bible, and it was like highlighted for me in my mind. I see these words. And it was from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For this is the will of God. An answer. And I kept reading and it said, your sanctification. And I'll admit, I was a little confused by that and by the verses that followed. Because often, or at least it seems sometimes, when we're asking God, what is his will for our life? We have in our minds, first and foremost, a picture of some great thing that he wants us to do for him. And of course, God wants us to do things for him and for his kingdom. But perhaps, like for the Thessalonians, God's first will for them was not what they could do, but who they ought to be. And so with this in mind, I invite you to open up with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 as we get some practical instruction that it was a, a good thing for the people in those days, and my, is it relevant for us in our day today? First Thessalonians chapter four, and we'll start in verse one. Verse one says, finally, then brethren, the word there finally is the Greek word loipos, which means the rest or the remaining. Interestingly enough, it's the same word that's used in Revelation 12, 17, where it says, uh, the remnant of her seed, in reference to God's last day people. Uh, but here, the Apostle Paul is using it differently. He's talking about the rest of what he's going to be sharing, because up until this chapter, he's still been doing introductory remarks. And now he gets into um, this apostolic teaching and a plea for purity among the people. Finally then, brethren, verse 1, we urge you and exhort you in the Lord Jesus Christ that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Notice that phrase, abound more and more. Last week we talked about how we're either green and growing or ripe and rotting. Again, we see this, this emphasized. God and the Apostle Paul wanted to see the believers continue to grow more and more. No sitting back, no stagnating. This is a time for growth. Knowing how they ought to walk or how they ought to live and how to please God. Our sermon title today is actually Living to Please God. We're going to get some powerful instructions on how they could do that and how we likewise can do that. You know, as Christians, when we try to live to please God, it's not just something that makes God happy. But I think you'll find and would agree with me, when you're living to please God, it brings a lot of pleasure to your own heart. I mean, think about it. If you're living to please God by telling the truth and not lying, isn't that gonna bring you a lot more joy and peace and freedom of guilt in your own, in your own heart and mind? When you're living to please God by keeping the Sabbath, Aren't you going to be blessed by the, the many rich blessings of the Sabbath? When you're living to please God by 
by keeping yourself sexually pure? Aren't you going to be living to also please yourself by not letting your spouse down or, or by not living in addiction or by uh, not getting unwanted diseases, etc., etc.? Living to please God is the way we ourselves live to, to find the greatest joy and meaning and satisfaction in life. So Paul, finally then, he says, I want you to keep on growing. I want you to walk in such a way that you please God. Verse 2, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Again, Paul recognized the authority by which he was giving these commands and instructions. Verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, being set apart for a holy purpose. Remember, Ellen White says sanctification is the process of a lifetime. So if you're not sanctified yet, it means be, keep on going. You're still alive, keep on letting God sanctify you. Abound more and more day after day. And specifically, Paul had in mind purity, sexual purity. Look at what he says there. Your sanctification that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Now there he's using the Greek word um, porneia, from which we get the word pornography. Uh, but this word porneia, it means so much more than that. It's any type of sex outside of the, uh, the wonderful sex of a marriage. Um, any kind of sexual uh, impurity, whether it's in your thoughts, your heart, or whether it is in uh, the flesh. Now, in the, that culture, this was a very pressing issue. Remember, this is a Gentile Christian church for the most part. They are coming out of the culture, and the culture of their day was very impure. Um, very, very impure. Uh, there was the Greek poet, uh, or rather statesman, Demosthenes, and he wrote this. He said, we keep prostitutes for pleasure. We keep mistresses for the day, today need to the body, and we keep wives for the begetting of children and for the faithful guardianship of our homes. Basically, he's saying, whatever feels good, we do it. Now, it wasn't just the men of that culture that were corrupt. Uh, it was also the women who were going into one marriage and then out of another marriage and just doing whatever they wanted. Juvenal, the Roman poet who lived about 50 years BC, he said, uh, he talked about a woman who he'd heard of who had been in eight marriages in just five short years. So literally, as was said, the people there married to divorce and they divorced to marry. The marriage covenant was not a sacred one. Uh, the idea of being pure and, and chaste to your spouse and only your spouse was not one in their culture that was prevalent. And sadly, our culture is the same. And maybe it's even worse. This slippery slope of sexual sin is even more prevalent and even more accessible in our day. Now, before we go any further, a question for you. If the believers in Thessalonica and the believers today were saved by grace, then why would Paul or God remind them and urge them to walk in obedience? There's a lot of answers that we could give. 
Um, and we've already seen that when we walk to please God, we actually please ourselves. Uh, not in a selfish way, but in a positive way. But one of the big reasons why it's so important for us to avoid sin is because sin changes us. Sin takes away our desire to be with God, and it makes us want to be opposite of where God is. And so the longer we let sin be in our lives, the more we let it grow, the more dangerous it is in tripping us up. And Satan, he will take his time and he'll wait for the right opportunities in our life. He'll catch us off guard just when we're not ready for it. There are people who think, oh, I want to serve God, but I want to, I just want to have some fun for a while. But they go off and they do their own thing and then they no longer have that desire to go back to God because sin changes us. And so Paul was worried that the believers living in that secular, uh, sexualized culture might get off track. And knowing his heart for them, we can understand his pleas to them to do the things that please God, to live in a sanctified manner and to give their, their sexuality over to God, to live in a manner that was pleasing to him. Verse 4, it says that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the passion of lust. Now, there's a couple ways to understand this phrase about the vessel. Some believe Paul is talking here about just keeping yourself pure, your body uh, pure, and not getting into sexual sin. Others, based on the, the specific Greek language and syntax, they believe Paul is actually referring to getting yourself a spouse and being true and faithful to that spouse in the marriage covenant. Either way you look at it, it's saying the same thing. Beware of the dangers of sexual sin and be faithful and true to God, walking in the way that pleases God, not in the passion of lust. Richard Exley wrote the book, The Perils of Power. And in that book, he said this, lust never satisfies, it only stirs up. Think about that for a second. Lust never satisfies, it only stirs up. If lust could have satisfied, then Solomon, who had a thousand women at the tip of his uh, scepter, he could call any one of them on any night of the week. But at the end of his life, he said, I denied myself no pleasure, and it was all vanity. It was all chasing after the wind. It was all worthless. If it didn't satisfy Solomon, it certainly won't satisfy us. Paul says, don't live in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. Now, they were largely a church of people who had been Gentiles or still considered Gentiles, but they had chosen to come out of that lifestyle. But Paul is saying, don't go back. Don't live like the people around you sexually who just say, I'm a beast, you're a beast, let's go be beasts together. Don't live as animals. You are higher than that. And if we ourselves are living in a way that is just up to the standards of society when it comes to sex, then we are living in a way that Paul would say is like those who do not know God. Verse 6, 
that no one should take advantage of or defraud his brother in this matter. When you cheat on your spouse with someone else's spouse or, or someone else's future spouse, you are defrauding them. And then notice what Paul says next. He says, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. We get four reasons in a row for why we should live in such a way with our bodies to please God, especially in the area of sexuality. We gotta remember that the Lord is an avenger. In other words, he's a just God. What we sow, we will also reap. And there are consequences when we act out sexually now, and there are ripple effects that go on for a long time. Some of you know what that's like, and some of us know what that's like through seeing it in the lives of others. We all have made bad mistakes in our life. Paul is reminding us God doesn't mess around with sin, and he doesn't mess around when we defraud others, when we abuse others, when we hurt others. So much more we could say on this topic. We move on though to verse seven. For God did not call us to uncleanness. Reason number two, God gave us a higher calling. Not to uncleanness, but to holiness. God has called us and chosen us to be holy, set apart. Verse eight, therefore he who rejects this does not reject man, but God. This wasn't just the apostles teaching. This was God appealing to the believers to give their whole self to him. You think about the act of circumcision, uh, something that God gave to his people in the Old Testament. That was a physical reminder that God was the God of their life and God was the God of their sexuality. Here in the New Testament era, Paul is reminding them God is the one who called you. And if you reject this teaching, you're not rejecting me, you're rejecting God. Second half of verse eight, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. The fourth reason to resist the temptations is because God has given us the Holy Spirit. We don't wanna grieve that spirit away. And the Holy Spirit is the one who can help us and give us strength and help us to overcome our temptation. And all of us are tempted. All of us struggle. I've got a book on my shelf that says, Every Man's Battle. And it's not every man's battle, it's, it's every man and woman's battle. And, and the temptations of Satan manifest themselves differently, but all of us struggle. And if you're struggling with something, uh, in particular in the context of today's message, if you're struggling with sexual sin, uh, I just want to encourage you to reach out to somebody. Find somebody you can talk to, somebody you can pray with, somebody that can help encourage you and keep you accountable. Uh, there are certain sins that are, the very nature is such that you, can, you almost can't overcome them by yourself. I mean, if you could have, you would have done it already. And so my encouragement is to reach out, find practical ways to, to start walking in victory, walking in a way that pleases God. And there are practical solutions that are helpful, like software for your phone or your computer that can help if pornography is an issue. Um, I like to recommend this software called Covenant Eyes. Um, 
but there are other good ones out there as well. There are groups that you can join, recovery groups online and in person, uh, groups that can help you. Uh, and there are trusted, confidential people right here in this church. God wants us to walk in freedom and walk in a way that's pleasing to him. Because if we do that, it will also be pleasing to us. Not walking in addiction, but walking in freedom. So the Apostle Paul gives this heartfelt counsel to the people that he loves. Little did he know how, how much we need the same counsel today uh, here in our era. And then he continues in verse 9 with a little different shift of focus, but he continues this apostolic counsel. Verse 9, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. They were good at loving. Paul says, I don't need to write to you about this. Verse 10, And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Again, they were good at love, but should they be content and stop growing? No way. They needed to keep growing and loving more and more. Verse 11, that you should also aspire to lead a quiet life and to mind your own business and to work with your own hands. Now, apparently, there were believers in Thessalonica who were uh, so agitated and excited about the news of the return of Jesus, that they had stopped working. The Lord's going to return. Doesn't make any sense to work. We just got to, we got to wait. We got to be ready. But apparently they weren't even spreading the news very well. They were getting into trouble and causing uh, issues. They were not living quiet lives. They were busy bodies. Um, and then, because they weren't working, they were relying upon others, and it was starting to look bad in the community. Look at verse 12. That you may walk properly towards those that are outside, and that you may lack nothing. So, Paul now is talking in a different way regarding how they can please God, and he was saying, uh, do the task in front of you. Be productive citizens. Don't rely unnecessarily upon others. Work with your own hands. There's a blessing in work. Now, in those days, work with the hands was looked down upon in the culture. But Paul was saying, no, 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 this is a good thing. And by the way, as it relates to temptation, they say idle hands are the devil's playground. Uh, there's nothing like keeping yourself busy, uh, particularly in the work of ministry to help you with your temptation. Ellen White once said something like this. She said, they forget that strength to resist temptation is best gained through aggressive service. So part of this path to stay on the right path, to walk in a way in sanctification in a way that pleases God is to stay busy even as we wait and look forward to the second coming of Jesus. Boy, we live in some interesting times, don't we? It seems like day by day we see signs being fulfilled in our world. Uh, we see unprecedented change in our world. And it makes us wonder, well, how soon is the soon coming of Jesus? But the thing that we should not do 
is just stop doing everything. Because we have a message to share, a hope to tell. And so we need to be active in sharing the good news while we can. That's part of what it means to please God. I remember a number of years ago when I lived in Sonora, there was a swimming club, swimming team, a master's swim program I was a part of, and they were coached swimming sessions, and occasionally they would have events. Well, one time I signed up for this event called the Brute Swim. It was a brutal event with three events back to back to back. You did the 200 butterfly, the 400 IM, and then the 1650, which is a mile swim. All in a row, by the end of it, you're just gassed. And when I got out of the pool, it took over a half hour to complete. I got out of the pool, I looked at my time, and I was really pleased. I didn't set any world records or anything, but for me, I did better than I was expecting. And it was so rewarding to have put in the effort to struggle, but come out of it and be successful. And then my coach came over to me and she saw my time. And I think I surprised her a little bit. And she wasn't the person who necessarily gave out a lot of compliments, but I could tell she was really proud of me. In fact, she even put a picture of me in the local newspaper. I was so happy for myself there were a lot of people who swam faster than me. I was, but I was so happy for myself for what I had done. But when I knew that my coach was proud of me and that she was pleased with what I had done, it gave me even more, even greater joy. Friends, this struggle that we have in this world with temptation, with difficulty, with uh, heartache and loss, it's not always easy. But as we discussed a couple weeks ago, the struggle is well worth it. It's well worth it because one day, Jesus will return and we will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Come inherit the kingdom prepared for you. We've made a lot of mistakes. No doubt we'll make a lot more mistakes, but we keep coming back to Jesus asking for his forgiveness and cleansing power, asking for the Holy Spirit to help us, grabbing on to people in the faith and saying, I need your help. Pray for me, I'm struggling. And one day, we will hear those words. I'm looking forward to that day, how about you? Let's talk to our God right now. Loving Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you love us so much. We're thankful that no matter how many times we fall down, Lord, uh, if we get back up with your power, we ask for forgiveness. Our record is once again clean. Father, thank you for viewing us as blameless in Christ. Thank you for sending us the Holy Spirit to give us power. And Lord, uh, give us courage some of us need to reach out and find some prayer partners, people to encourage us in our walk, some practical solutions for um, some of the struggles that we all go through. Uh, so Father, we pray that you will help us. We know 
uh, as you see us praying right now, as you see us opening our hearts to you, we know right now you're well pleased. And we look forward to seeing you face to face someday soon. So please be in our hearts. Please use us for our kingdom, your kingdom, and please grow us day by day. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a happy Sabbath. We'll see you soon.